You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 62nd program of Think Again, our 20th remotely in the time of the coronavirus. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation that has been dedicated to social change for over 20 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're looking at how our societies are created on a day-to-day basis and what that means for social action. Just a few programs ago, we talked about creating beneficial social change, and that was what Borderlands and our Think Again program was all about. That's right. We wondered aloud whether it was useful to think and act as if the world simply divided into goodies and baddies. Yeah, and whether beneficial social change emerges from the goodies and goes against the resistance and the interest mm. of the baddies only. In that program, we suggested that the lines of good and bad are not always clear-cut and also that we're all part of the system we're in. We all play a role in producing and reproducing the system that we're part of by our day-to-day interactions, behaviours and even by the way we think and what we say. Mm. And that creates the unfortunate situation that anything good we do and want to do, always also risks to have and likely has aspects to Mm. it that will be bad or at Mm. least not so good. Mm. Yeah. Miriam Margulies talked about this in her ABC series, which was on recently, Almost Australian. She quizzed the mining manager about the ethics of his mining operations and he pointed out to her that the roof on her house was made of the stuff that he was mining. Mm. I, I think it was tin. Anyway, she later observed that always living ethically isn't always straightforward or that easy. Mm. Yeah, I often think back about my own past academic career, you know, trying to be a good lecturer and teacher and offering great learning and learning rich teaching opportunities and supporting students is good, or so I thought. But widening our perspective a bit to the organization in which this good teaching happens and occurs, that means the universities, as we know now all too well, they have transformed transformed mainly into money-making private businesses or their equivalent. And my good teaching, therefore, does contribute to that as well. Finally, also, our Australian universities are part and parcel of an unjust world order. They're actually built on expropriation Mm. and pillage. Mm. Can you 
give an example of that, Jacques? Yeah, you know, the investments in questionable mining enterprises, which many universities still continue to do mm-hmm. and demand often uh, big actions by students and uh, aware staff, or mm-hmm. drawing a historical long bow. Several of the East Coast U.S. famous private universities like Yale and Harvard were initially funded by monies made out of the opium trade in China mm-hmm. via Hong Kong. And now mm-hmm. our universities force the young adults of countries that are systematically kept in poverty to come up with the finances to study with us and with them and gain the opportunity to become part of the promised mm. development which we all need to pursue. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jacques, that's, that's, you're talking about our international students Ex- that we've exactly. become so dependent on. Mm. Totally. And that is then also where the good lecture, which I thought I was, often unwittingly, but also often by sheer necessity, contributes to and makes a living from an unjust mm. and exploitative system. Yeah, of course, Jacques. It it was those circumstances that led you to setting up Borderlands in the first place with like-minded people around 1997, I think. Yeah, 97, 98. Yeah, that's right. My personal decision when I saw universities in the mid-90s and uh, later turn into the sausage factories we have discussed in an earlier program a couple of weeks ago, my decision was to leave leave because I didn't want to be part of that anymore and help Mm -hmm. start Borderlands Cooperative with like-minded people. Uh, I was attempting to help create an organizational context in which good work would not that easily be turned into its opposite by the existing powers. So Mm. creating change that is unequivocally good is not an easy and simple thing to do. There are parts of the overall system where there is a surplus of power in the hands Mm. of those who want to exploit it for their own sole interest and profit. And arguably, those power holders can be considered greater baddies, to mm. use that terminology again, and uh-huh. therefore also carrying more moral culpability. Yeah, and I guess the important thing is that thinking about this can help us best direct our efforts to improve things. Mm. Mm. By finding and create, or creating working and living contexts where the good we want to and can generate is least likely to be undermined by the bad we almost necessarily are also contributing to. Yeah, so creating spaces, I guess, where our hopeful efforts are least likely to be undermined Mm. by those corrosive, exploitive Mm. powers. That's right, that's right. So that's a little bit of a recap of previous programs, because we, particularly the one we did last week, I think, because, no, the week before, no, the week because before. we wanted to keep talking about creating positive social change and a healthier and better present along the way, mm-hmm. which with leaders like, you know, like Trump and Bolsonaro and Putin mm-hmm. and, and Morrison and, mm-hmm. and an almost daily deteriorating ecology seems like a precarious ideal to have and to want to pursue. Mm, so I guess that's why it seemed to us it would be useful to take a step further back and look at how society is produced and reproduced from day to day, which is mm. what this program's about. Mm. Exactly. And in a few further programs, we will also try and come up with conversations and interviews about, let's call it, the best possible social and ecological change that has a chance of being sustained. Mm. 
Yeah, so that's a lot to think about. Probably time for a break now. We'll have some music. Uh, what a Wonderful World by... by and Kuchacha by Louis Armstrong. I see trees of green. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue, clouds of white, bright blessed days, dark sacred nights, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Colors of the rainbow So pretty in the skies Also on the faces Of people going by I see friends shaking hands Saying how do you do They're really saying I love you I hear Is I watch them grow They'll learn much more Than I'll ever know And I think to myself What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful world. Oh, yeah. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law, 6pm Tuesdays. Thank you, Louis Armstrong, for giving that little bit of uh, light to our day. You're mm-hmm. listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR Digital, and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about how society is made and remade every day, and how we are all part of this making and remaking of it in different ways. Mm. Yeah, when we were talking about ideas for today's program, <coughs> excuse me, I told Jacques how I had always thought it was strange how you could have a small child that grows into a man, 
but on no one day do you see this change actually happen. The change is so slow and incremental that you never see it happen at any one point. You do see change, of course, by looking back and the memory of how things were before and especially by looking at photos as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so now I have an adult son who was once a baby. Evidently, there must have been change every day, in fact, every second, but I never saw it happen. What I saw were, I guess, things happening in situations in which I was involved which, again, makes the thing of change even more difficult, the fact that I was part of those events. Yeah. Mm. Mm. The way society is constantly formed and reformed and transformed is like this, a slow morph, sometimes Mm. interrupted by moments where transformation is fast, even cataclysmic. We think of bushfires, the explosion in Lebanon, and even the COVID pandemic we now are witnessing and living with. Yeah, and and following this thread, if you'll bear with me, I've been reading some history books about what happened with Australian Aborigines through the 1800s and the ways that Aboriginal people tried to adjust, really different ways and a variety of ways, or often just survived by their wits and and often guided by tradition too, um, even if they had to keep that in their back pocket um, often. Uh, One book was about trackers called Pathfinders and the other one about Truganini and called Truganini. Um, And then, in my mind, I jumped to the present and I can now see how that tragedy has unfolded and is still unfolding for Aboriginal people here, but in such a different context. It's a different place and time, different social habits, different systems, different ways of relating with another, and with nature, uh, but how did we get from the 1800s to now? On no one day did anyone see this change or perceive it as a grand transformation, yet here we are. The one constant across time being that black lives still do not seem to matter or not even a fraction as much as white lives. And so that's mm. been the constant across time, even with all those Low morphing changes. Mm. Mm, that's right. And to describe and understand it, we use larger narratives and not the language and vocabulary of the immediate present situation. We mm. use words like invasion, exploitation, development, assimilation, and so on. Mm. Mm, yeah, and meanwhile, every day we wake up and perform part of the dance that forms our society, our world, along with every other person near and far. So we are society and we are the processes and act out the processes of society. Uh, The choreography for this is a document we all constantly write and rewrite together. It's inside us and we act it out every day and every night, for that matter, of our lives, albeit with a lot of creative improvisation, of course. But it's so automatic, we don't even think about it, unless... We're in a strange place or in a new and unknown situation. And then we'll be asking, hmm, what's expected of me here? Where do I go for this or that? What happens now? Hmm, things like that. Mm, that also happens when dramatic and dangerous things like the present pandemic occur. 
some ask for strong leaders to tell us what to do, others impose their own learned ways of dealing with the unknown, and they then resist being told, and for example, don't wear masks. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So a lot of social spirits have tried to um, explain all of this and how it happens and how mm. society changes and reproduces um, every day in, in lots mm. of different ways. So when social theorists try to make their concepts and theories more comprehensible for everyone, I guess including themselves, they often use diagrams to describe how society uh, does this. So there are usually pyramids and lots of arrows, like a sort of engineering diagram. And at the top, uh, you might find government, the economy, or the political economy. You'll have groups and organisations who hold and control most of the wealth and who use this to draw more and more wealth towards themselves. And I'm sure a lot of listeners could come up with their own set of culprits they'd like to put on their diagram. And then you might encounter um, the bodies or channels through which they exercise this power, like religious bodies or the media or educational institutions or think tanks, etc. And often lowest to the bottom of such pictures, you find things that happen in everyday life, uh, like um, in families, in pubs, in schools and nurseries, sports events, in homes. Um, but usually usually they also ignore that everyday life happens with holders of power too. So the holders of power, they're, they're doing things in everyday life as well. And that is mm. often forgotten, I think, in these mm, conceits. Exactly. Mm. There are certain social theorists often talk about social discourses or ideologies that influence the way we live and organize ourselves. In the process, rewarding some groups and marginalizing others. For example, there is the belief that caring work is not of much value or yeah. that the poor are responsible for their own situations. You know, that those are things we have talked about in several of our past programs. Mm. Yet other social thinkers and theorists, they rather zoom in on our communications and interactions, the ways in which we relate in everyday life, without a lot of reference to the big stuff that would be structuring society and daily life into the ways yeah. it is and if it yeah. evolves. Mm. Yeah, and I guess we could draw all the diagrams we like, but looking out of our windows, we can't see a big concrete slab weighing on us, um, poor underlings a slab named social structure or authoritarianism or even democracy for that matter. So they're just diagrams. There's nothing outside where we can see that represented in the, or see that in the real world. It's just mm. a conceit, really, to help us. These, the diagrams are just devices to help us understand things. Um, even though people sometimes get that mixed up with the reality, they're just devices to help us think, really. In mm. truth, life is not made up of neat, separate compartments. That's the point. Life unfolds every day in a constant, ongoing and interconnected processes. It's complex, dynamic, changing, ever-flowing and ever-unfolding with all parts constantly interconnecting. So I think intuitively we know life is like this. This is how we experience life. 
even while we yearn for the simple explanations. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and that means also that that why it is true that all the heavy stuff we often talk about is is true. Also, uh, Uncle Sachmo <laughs> was right when he called the world a wonderful thing to be part of. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we will go to another promo. Tune in to Uprise Radio every first and third Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR. With Jackson and James, we're bringing you the in-depth analysis of what's happening in the world all in just 30 minutes. You can listen live to air or you can find us on demand. 3cr.org.au. Stay tuned. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking about how society is formed and reformed every day and how everything in our world is interconnected, including we, us. Mm-hmm. In the early 1900s in physics, the quantum revolution brought about a fundamental rethink about the ways the world really operates moving radically away from the mechanistic and fragmenting thinking that emerged several hundred years ago in the West during what we still Mm -hmm. continue to call the Enlightenment period. Yeah, so that was about 400 years ago. And and, and, um, I guess overturning, we're overturning the idea that the world is made up of things or objects that interact according to universal laws. And, and the idea that we just need to find out what those laws are and then we'll understand everything. And, of course, that's what the quantum revolution did. It mm-hmm. really challenged that simple view of mm-hmm. the world. That's correct. In contrast to that, quantum physics or holism and the, the holistic philosophy underneath of it understands our world and everything in the universe, including us, as entangled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess uh, we use the word interdependent um, Mm. in a couple of programs as well, which would be an aspect of being entangled if we're entangled, Mm, if we're all interdependent as well. Mm. But it also lays lie to the the kind of understanding we have often of ourselves of being Mm -hmm. independent. David Bohm's book, Wholeness and the Implicate Order, was certainly instrumental in explaining much of this to both Jennifer and myself when we were working Excellent. in our academic kind of periods. Uh, Karen Barat, a theoretical particle physics researcher and feminist and philosopher, she used the concept of entanglement, which I mentioned before, to describe our human ways of being in her book, which she titled Meeting the Universe Halfway, which is titled mm, like Borrowed from a poem by Alice Felton. Beautiful, mm. a really interesting book. Mm. Mm. So to, I guess to illustrate what we mean by all of this, let's look at what's happening with COVID. We can look at is it as a sudden disruption and an upheaval, supposedly caused by the Chinese letting a virus escape and not letting us know that it had happened. So it seems like it happened suddenly. We have a baddie to blame causing it, and then the world was different and we all became sick. The other more holistic way of looking at it is to consider how humans have so severely encroached on the natural environment over time 
that animals lost their habitat and brought the viruses that were safe for them into the places where we humans live. Mm. And then we, of course, force you, and then force humans to what we call socially distance and hoard toilet paper and destroy our capitalist economies and the livelihoods of many. Yeah, or, or look at our sudden, inverted commas, sudden crisis in aged care with many older people, as we know, tragically succumbing to COVID. Uh, until the latest revelations, we could easily blame Premier Andrews and the quarantine security confusion. And a lot of people have been blaming mm. Premier Andrews and yeah. that exactly. quarantine arrangement. The agent of health are chockers with it. Yeah, that's mm. right. It's been quite a campaign. But we've mm. known for a long time anyway that the sector, the aged care sector, is rife with problems, especially mm. after the privatisation of aged care which had prioritised profit and meanness mm. over mm. care. Mm. Absolutely. And going even further back in that thinking, what kind of society are we that we are on the one hand told that long lives are what we all need to aim for and that, that they are great, that pushing life expectancy higher and higher is a sign of civilization or of development. And then when we're doing all of that, we warehouse all the warehouse. people when they do survive mm -hmm. in dysfunctional and under-resourced institutions because we can't have them anywhere else anymore in our human communities and society. And because of the yeah. way in which you have created mm -hmm. the nuclear family and its responsibilities and limitations which then can't take care of the elderly anymore. Yeah, yeah. so given all that, Strategizing for social change has to take into account all the entanglements of our worldly mm -hmm. living. And we need to choose and create the places and contexts in which change can become sustainable or, in other words, create new forms of community where mm. change can happen. Exactly. And manifest. And, <laughs> mm, and we should remember what David Bohm our hero wisely suggested, he said, each of us is a co-producer of the world. Each of us is a co-producer of a possible future. So mm. you better put on your masks, dear friends. Uh, so for next week, we uh, will actually have a discussion about the way in which the media, particularly our local media, have been treating uh, all the kinds of events which have been evolving around the pandemic. It was quite scandalous, really. We, both Jennifer and I, we are absolutely appalled at the way in which mm. Harold Sun and H really have been portraying uh, the way in which it, uh, that pandemic has been dealt with, particularly by the local, by the uh, Victorian government, Premier. and mm. yeah, and the way in which Andrews has been portrayed in both of those newspapers, it's just scandalous. Mm. Uh, also, and apparently based on a fallacy. Pardon? Apparently yeah. based on a fallacy that exactly, it was spread by today, security yeah, guards. Right. Yeah, we'll right talk about that. more next week. Yeah, this morning, H and, and and even Harold have said that it was actually nothing to do with uh, security staff as the origin of this uh, second outbreak or second wave or whatever we call it, but it has more to do with it. It was actually the first person who uh, had it or, or had it suffered from it was actually the, mm -hmm. the night manager of the hotel 
who then mm-hmm. gave it on to the uh, to the uh, staff, to the other staff, basically. It's just, anyway, yeah. we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio with Jacques Boulet and Jennifer Borrell. Remember, if you do want to send us a message or ask about anything from today's program, you can email Borderlands at borders at borderlands.org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. Our programs are available by podcast and on the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Again, we'd like to thank Leanne for pulling this program together from the 3CR studio while Jennifer and I connected remotely by phone. Mm, Meanwhile, stay tuned for the following program, Jailbreak, which gives a voice to prison inmates, their families and their friends. To bring us into this program, we have... World Turning by Yofu Indy. I've been looking for-